Welcome to another episode of Friendship Talks. Are you listening? My name is Dr. Corliss Thompson, and I'm a proud member of Friendship Missionary Baptist Church and the Social Justice Ministry. And I'm honored today and excited to be this week's host. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Reverend Dr. Paul McAllister, and we are talking about the concept of Christian nationalism. Dr. McAllister will help us break down the term, understand its history, implications, recommended actions, and ways of thinking about this from a Christian and from a social justice perspective. Dr. McAllister, um, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's good to be here with you, Dr. Corliss. Good to see you today. Yes, absolutely. You have quite a background. At first glance, I know that you're a reverend and you've pastored, but I also see that you're an engineer. I also know that you've done scholarly writing, um, policy, economics. How does all of this come together for you? Well, it comes together uh, today in the context of an organization, a 501c3, named Global Leaders in Unity and Evolvement, or GLU. It is a small think tank, uh, faith-based, that is here in North Carolina, and with outreach uh, beyond here in North Carolina to various places, including, for example, the Ukraine, where I have several interns, as well as some persons uh, in Venice, Italy, and various ones in uh, different universities, graduate and undergraduate universities across the country. So this is interesting because really your background, um, while you're from the United States, the work that you're doing is really kind of on a global basis. Um, and even when I think about the term nationalism, as someone that's from the United States, I think about the United States. And so I'm really excited to be able to dig into the, the topic of nationalism, specifically Christian nationalism, with you. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Um, I know that you've been a pastor. Um, how did you come to um, this combination of pastoring, Christian nationalism, and all of these topics? It's a very interesting um, uh, question. Uh, let me start with the National Council of Churches, where I serve on actually two convening tables, one the Faith and Order convening table, which is a group of scholars, and also I serve with the interreligious convening table, specifically in that group, the Theology Task Force. And a few years ago, the Theology Task Force uh, took up uh, the challenge of drafting a statement, a policy statement, on behalf of the governing board of the National Council of Churches on Christian nationalism. Subsequent to that, I participated in uh, a colloquium at Oxford University uh, that dealt with confronting the challenge of white Christian nationalism. So I've been looking at this topic now, I would imagine, for the last uh, three to five years. Um, and I think that it's an emerging topic in many circles, but for many who understand the history of it, uh, it is really something that has been around for, for quite a long time. And not only that, um, it is interpreted by many different individuals in different ways 
depending upon how they choose to apply and think about the term. Excellent. So we're going to dig into this, and um, I hope that you don't mind. I'm going to play the novice here really to try to understand and make sense of this, similar to, I think, other people who might be listening to the show. Um, now, before I start asking questions about Christian nationalism, um, can you tell us how long you've been a member at Friendship and also the social justice ministry and what drew you to that ministry? I moved to the Concord area from Chatham County roughly in 2017. And uh, uh, after sort of figuring out what I wanted to do next, having pastored there, I, I knew I needed to get my think tank going. That was the next stage of my journey. Uh, my wife and I were looking for a place to worship. Uh, our children had already left uh, the home. We're empty nesters. And so it became important to find a church that I felt would uh, best reflect who I was and who I am in my journey. Uh, we knew we did not want to worship in a small venue. Uh, having pastored in both large and small venues, we felt like this was a time for us to choose. And uh, being drawn to one of Pastor Jones's sermons on the internet, uh, I pretty much made my decision that friendship would probably be one of the best places uh, that we could worship, uh, uh, or rather where we could worship here in Charlotte. And I think we've been pretty much uh, satisfied with that decision that we've made. And so we've been a part of the social justice ministry now for roughly three, perhaps four years. As you may recall, uh, in working with uh, Andrea Batodier, who is the leader of the social justice ministry, uh, she did not hesitate to pull me in, and I became the editor of the Justice Advocate and did that for roughly two years from 2020 to the end of 2021, maybe a little bit into 2022. So I think that captures my experience at Friendship and in particular with the social justice ministry. Thank you. So I think social justice ministry is special. And um, a lot of times if you're looking in at the outside, you might see the political work we, that we do or the volunteer work that we do with kids. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, just what makes a Christian approach to social justice unique? What, is, what does that mean related to social justice for, for Christians? What a good question that is. Uh, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. That is a biblical uh, verse that we find in the Old Testament. It is an important verse. But for the Christian, uh, doing justice is linked to righteousness. And we believe that Christ is our righteousness, uh, that we become uh, as he is, as we live and live and uh, think and move and have our being in him, in God. And so part of manifesting a Christian witness is to be concerned about others and not merely our own personal piety. Uh, there are those who feel that certainly to, uh, to be godly is, 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 is all that really is expected. Uh, but a thorough understanding or more complete or comprehensive grasp of what it means to be Christian means to look beyond one's own self 
and look to the needs of others. Indeed, it involves even esteeming others as better than ourselves. And so when we think about looking to the needs of others and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, then one cannot do that simply uh, by being pious. One also has to be engaging, uh, just as Jesus in his ministry uh, engaged people. He did not merely hang out in the temple. He did not merely hang out with the elites. Uh, He didn't merely have religious conversations. He engaged in the needs of the people where they hurt, um, where they suffered, where they agonized, and ultimately took up the plight of the suffering. And so for me, this is where the call of Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, that great verse that deals with the ministry of healing the brokenhearted and ministering to the sick and those who are in prison uh, and those who suffer all kinds of indignities that life might put upon humanity. Uh, This is part of the witness of what it means to be a Christian. And even if one does not bear the label of Christian, one can certainly understand the ministry and the example of Jesus. Thank you. There's a lot there. And I think that as we begin to unpack Christian nationalism, being able to come back to kind of what is our whole purpose in this in terms of social justice and Christianity anyway, and, you know, esteeming others better than ourselves, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and really engaging and caring for people will become important as we really think through, you know, what this is. So let's dig into the idea. Uh, Before we define Christian nationalism, can you just tell us briefly, like, what is the concept of nationalism? The concept of nationalism is simply uh, loyalty and affinity to one's nation. Um, And in fact, um, some might say that it is associated with patriotism, and it is, um, patriotism being a love of one's country. Uh, Nationalism, however, being faithful and loyal to one's country in spite of its flaws and its fallacies, its strengths or its weaknesses. So nationalism is something different from patriotism, even though the two certainly may overlap. I would also say that nationalism might, in certain circles, be uh, thought of as nationism, a belief that one's nation um, is, is due uh, all one's affection and loyalty and affinity and even the belief that one's nation might be superior to other nations. Got it. Um, But this topic, Christian nationalism, it still feels a little bit big and a little bit uh, like, what is it? So can you talk us through the major tenets of Christian nationalism? Christian nationalism. You can think of it as an ideology, which is a set of ideas or ideals Uh, that tend to revolve around politics and economics or policy. Uh, One can think of Christian Christian nationalism as a political strategy that is employed uh, to advance those ideas or ideals. And then it is certainly also an emerging identity where people now want to be associated with the label Christian nationalism because of what it has come to symbolize and represent. 
When we think about Christian nationalism, one of the principal events that we point to often is January 6th, the insurrection that took place at, at the Capitol. Because there you saw, if you think about the images that were broadcast, you see the fusion of symbols, um, Christian with non-Christian. You saw crosses. You saw Bibles. You also saw MAGA hats. You also saw signs that said, Jesus saves. Uh, there were crucifixes and crosses and persons praying fervently, lifting up hands in prayer. So you saw this confluence of different images and symbols that suggested this fusion of a particular brand of Christianity with a, a certain identity, which was predominantly white, but not exclusively white, but also this fusion with that identity with what American civic life should look like. This insurrection did not take place on a back street of a back corner in a small town. It took place in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, uh, the center of power, not just in the United States, but in the world. And therefore, Christian nationalism represents the urgency of the hour that some feel to, as the slogan has been stated repeatedly, to take our country back. But you add that end phrase to that which says, for God. So Christian nationalism, in the end, is about those who believe this country has drifted so far from what it means to be Christian that it needs to be taken back for God, but not only for God, but also for a certain people, for us, take our country back for God so that we can shape it in the image of ourselves. That defines Christian nationalism for me. Thank you. There's a lot there to unpack. I mean, one of the things that I think about, just trying to get really concrete about what it is, I know that there's lots of policies, there's lots of laws that we live by in this country. And thinking back to um, January 6th um, and the insurrectionist, if you take a Christian nationalist approach, does that mean that these people want to make it essentially a requirement to believe the way that they believe and um, to take, I guess, actions that they would want to take? For example, maybe there's a particular way of schooling that they believe in for children that they would want to enforce, or maybe a particular way of, of worship or a particular place of worship. I mean, is it that kind of thing that comes along with kind of this Christian nationalistic belief system? All of that is absolutely the case. And when we think about what Christian nationalism is as a cultural framework, we can also think about it in the context of myths, um, our belief systems that we have, our certain traditions that we hold. We can think about it in the context of certain narratives that we like to relate, uh, and I've already mentioned symbols and even values that we hold. I was at a conference um, a week and a half ago in Florida to your question about education. 
And uh, one of the concerns that we all can see taking place is book banning. And uh, all Christian nationalists are not concerned exclusively about books, but a great many are. And why is this a topic of concern? Because the narrative of America being a racist country is a foreign concept to many people who don't want to perceive as their country as still not having overcome the traditional hurdles that black and brown men and women and immigrants face in this country. And so there is this quest to eliminate that narrative from the psyche of America in order to preserve a certain system of beliefs and values um, regarding what should be taught and how it should be taught and what children should think about themselves in relation to America's past. And so uh, education is one of those foundation markers or foundation stones that we can definitely point to when we think about Christian nationalism. If I might go on a little further, when you think about Christian nationalism, some people link it to this idea of dominionism, the idea that the church is supposed to rule in society on seven mountains, and one of those mountains is education. But the other mountains are family, religion, um, the media, entertainment, business, and government. So it is the idea, as you've suggested, that Christians should occupy, influence, and determine, if not predetermine, what the future looks like while everyone else in the world, in the nation, follows the dictates, the mandates, the preferences, and the decisions of others in these particular areas are in these seven mountains, and again, one of them being education. I mean, it sounds like just hearing those examples, um, you know, it's education is one piece of it, but really, if you're talking about a cultural framework, um, it, it makes me think about just people's way, way of life, way of living, what they value. I think about um, families and how different um, religions really approach just when they pray, how they pray, where they go, how they dress, um, what they believe. And, and I wonder if um, Christian nationalism as an ideology, um, this might be taking it too far, so you can tell me if this is inaccurate, but would a Christian nationalist approach demonize people from a different religion? Would they basically say, you know, that these people, their way of life is, is wrong, and then try to enforce um, a different way of governing, a different type of business structure, a different type of family structure that essentially privileges a Christian narrative? Fundamentally, I, I, I wouldn't put it, I, I would not use the word demonize, even though I do appreciate the question, because many people who are off-put um, by what Christian nationalists do and say, do feel uh, that their way of life is being treated unfairly and harshly. Um, it is simply this, uh, this notion that America was founded as a Christian nation 
And because it was founded as a Christian nation, it should be maintained as a Christian nation. And therefore, others who are not Christian may take part in it, but they, are, but they should not enjoy the same privileges or, or points of access and certainly not power when it comes down to policy or, or economics as those who are Christian. And uh, as we saw on January 6th, since we used a very strong term, uh, demonize, uh, that word is not far afield from the idea of violence. And what we saw clearly, profusely, on January 6th was violence. So the typical Christian nationalist does not divorce him or herself from the prospect of embracing political violence in order to preserve the nation as Christian. What a strange idea. Mm. So would you say there is a spectrum then? I mean, on one end, you have people that are violent, but on another end, you have people that are really operating with an ideology and a belief system, but wouldn't necessarily take those kinds of actions that we saw on January 6th. Absolutely. And I know many people who preach and teach dominionism and they're not racist and they don't believe in political violence and any of um, the abhorrent things that we saw on January 6th. However, at the root, at the base of the origins of Christian nationalism, are feelings and thoughts that go far back into the nation's history that remind us of slavery, um, of slavery with impunity, of the violation of civil rights. And you see the linkage between those um, mannerisms and th those ways of living and being and thinking in the world to much of what is happening on the political right, not just the religious right. Yeah, as you're talking, I just am reminded of um, a lot of times when we think about social justice, at least social justice in education, we think about the variety and multiplicity of identities and how they intersect. Um, and I know, you know, in this particular instance, we're talking about one type of, you know, religious identity, um, but you mentioned race. And so I just wondered, um, can you talk at all about any other, I know you talked about the historical kind of through line, but even into now, like how, um, how is uh, whiteness, if at all, connected to this idea of Christian nationalism? It's a loaded question. Um, some don't refer to white um, when they think about Christian nationalism. Um, but the fact of the matter is, if you look at many of the surveys and studies that have been done, uh, Taking America Back for God by Samuel Perry, Andrew Whitehead, uh, it becomes very, very clear that the problem is predominantly, not exclusively, in the white community. And you cannot separate oneself from that. There are many uh, black people uh, of faith who believe in nationalism, who hold conservative values. And that is not a bad thing to be conservative. This, but this is not what we mean when we talk about Christian uh, uh, nationalism in the context of this discussion. What we're referring to is the notion that the country is doomed, mm. 
unless the nation is Christian. And therefore, Christians should have Jericho marches, um, and they should adopt every uh, propensity of violence uh, and the control of women's bodies uh, and strictures on educational opportunities uh, and reduction of voting opportunities uh, for racialized minorities in order to preserve this framework that is built on myths and traditions and symbology uh, and narratives and values that are upheld from the founding of this country when the founding fathers said that people of color were only three-fifths of a human being. We can't get away from these facts. And many want to uh, veer away from them, but I think it's important for uh, those who are opposed to modern Christian nationalist thinking to be very disciplined in how we use the term and how we think about where we're wanting the country to go in response to some of the things that I've just mentioned. Thank you. You know, we talked about um, January 6th, and we talked about the tenets of Christian nationalism. I just wondered if you could say a bit more about what a Christian nationalist sounds like. What are some of the things that might they might say or that they might ask? How would we know if we were talking with somebody that um, held this ideology? The Christian nationalist is not necessarily one who practices biblical Christianity. When we talk about Christian nationalism, the Christianity of the term represents something more than religion. It includes aspirations of nativism uh, or birtherism. President Barack Obama had to deal with that with his successor when he was in office. Show me your birth certificate, right? And then we can also think about white supremacy or patriarchy, or we can think about uh, heteronormativity along with a divine sanction for authoritarian control and militarism. You remember we had Jeff Sessions several years ago when he was attorney general stand before uh, the microphone and read, all authority is ordained by God. A, a total misappropriation and misapplication of scripture to suggest that because he was attorney general serving a president that he liked, that everyone needed to fall in line with what they were saying because they were authorized by God. And so you find that there's a lot that is spoken and said and done in the name of Christianity, which is really not Christian at all, because it doesn't abide by those core teachings of Jesus. Love God and love your neighbor. These two values cannot be compromised if one wants to call oneself a true Christian. Hearing you say all of that just reminds me how much power our elected officials have. Um, and especially as we get ready to go into an election day um, this year and next year, another 
um, national uh, presidential election coming up, um, I wonder what might we see if, if um, people who are elected abide by this nationality, or not nationality, but Christian nationalism, um, you know, kind of what's at risk, what's at stake? Well, what's at risk, and I'll see if I can't link this to Christian nationalism. We know that democracy um, is hanging by a thread in this country, and that is not just because of Christian nationalists. It is also because of the influence of corporate money in politics and libertarian ideology that aligns, quite frankly, with the way some early Christian nationalists like Jerry Falwell uh, and Paul Warrick, founders of the Moral Majority, this year Pat Robertson passed away, and you still see people like Ralph Reed um, uh, functioning in the political environment. You see think tanks like the Heritage Foundation uh, and CPAC and various conservative political action committees and think tanks and organizations functioning. We need to pay attention to what's happening in how these organizations and types of individuals are connected to one another because it is very critical to understand this if we are to understand why the nation has taken the turn that it has taken in recent years. It is not something that has happened overnight. It happened on the heels of Brown v. Board in 1954. And as you know, that, that ruling from the Supreme Court required states to provide equal education that was not separate so it meant schools needed to be integrated. Well, states didn't want that, particularly states in the South. And so you found movement and energy around how to get around this idea of integration and people living together and respecting one another and working together as equals. And all of that gave birth to uh, much of what we see now in Christian nationalist thinking, which is also anti-immigrant, which is anti um, uh, rights for women, uh, which is anti-labor union, because all of these represents movements that can influence the democratic process. So we need to think holistically, and not just about the needs that we have within, let's say, the African-American community, or in a particular Asian community, or the Hispanic community, but we need to think holistically about what it means for the people's voices to be heard in democracy. Demos, rule of the people. Demos meaning the people. And so we need to think holistically. This is what I'm trying to say in this particular segment. It is crucial to understand that there has been a movement underway in this country since 1954 to steal democracy by undercutting the voices of the people and there are various ways in which that has been done through policy and through economic shifts that have marginalized and discouraged and frustrated the voices of everyday working class people. This is why our churches, our ministers, our leaders need to be thinking as well as preaching, not just um, passing around communion uh, tablets and, and, and tables and receiving offerings, but engaging actively because this is the witness 
of the one whom we call our Lord and our Savior. And do we see the, the meaning and the power show up in show up legally? I know that the social justice ministry is very interested in voting, um, very interested in, you know, legislation. Can you talk about the connection to that? You know, there are many people who are working in our state legislature today who probably go to church every Sunday, who probably sing um, that old hymn, Just As I Am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Um, probably sing that on Sunday morning when the altar call is given and turn right around when they go back to work in the legislative building and sit in closed rooms and gerrymandered districts to deprive people of their voting rights. There's something wrong with that kind of faith. Uh, there's something wrong with that type of religion. And um, you have to pardon me because as I, as I, as I even think about uh, that possibility and that prospect, um, it should disturb all of us that one would label oneself a follower of Jesus and intentionally abuse or disenfranchise persons of rights that others fought long and hard for. And so I'm grateful for the social justice ministry of Friendship Missionary Baptist Church where we are members uh, because it is important to link our faith in Christ to redemptive love and redemptive suffering. Uh, not just the suffering of Jesus, but those who followed his example by bathing themselves in Christian witness, even when it meant depriving themselves of the futures that they longed for. You think about, for example, the life and witness of Martin Luther King Jr. And we know he was a human being. He was uh, no more perfect than you and I are perfect. But there, but there are many opportunities he might have had, but he chose uh, to do the work that he was called to do. And like Moses, who chose to suffer with the people of God for a season, for a better day, then this is what we're called to do also. I see the same witness in the social justice ministry, which is why it's so sterling, which is why it's so attractive uh, and carries so much influence uh, here in the state of North Carolina. Well, thank you so much, Reverend McAllister. Really appreciate you having this conversation with us today. Um, I'd love to um, close us out in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with Reverend McAllister today. Thank you for his wisdom. Thank you for his knowledge. And thank you for the guidance um, that I know comes from you to care for our neighbors, to be humble, to work to understand, to free our hearts through your grace and your mercy so that our minds can be free, and so that we can use your wisdom and your guidance to make decisions and to take the actions that you would call and have us to. Um, help us to love the way that you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so thank you again, Reverend McAllister. Really excited to talk about all of these things. I know we could have gone into a lot more detail about a lot of the different pieces, so hope we can have you back sometime soon. I would like to transition us into a few announcements for the month of November. And um, it's great timing because uh, Reverend McAllister talked about um, interfaith. 
And this coming November, Social Justice Ministry is going to be partnering with the Mecklenburg Metropolitan Interfaith Networks annual Thanksgiving service. And the theme this year is radical inclusion. That will be on Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. So if you are really interested in this interfaith dialogue, that would be a great opportunity. It's from seven to nine at Trinity Presbyterian Church. Um, And there will be more information um, posted about this particular event and opportunity. And the final note to end on is that Election Day is coming up. Make your way to the polls to vote on General Election Day, November 7th, 2023, um, for Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools Board of Education, Charlotte Mayor, Charlotte City Council at Large, and Charlotte City Council Districts 3, and the school bond. We know that voting is one thing that we can do to make sure that our voices are heard and that other voices are heard. So please participate individually and encourage as many others as you can to get out and vote. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you next time on the next episode of Friendship Talks. Are you listening?